Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Psalm 139 is where we're going to jump in this morning. You know, the book of Psalms, it's right smack dab in the middle of our Bible. Written mostly, actually more than half of the Psalms written by King David himself. The book of Psalms is really the hymn book for the nation of Israel. So if you're reading through the Gospels, you see that Jesus and the disciples, it says they sang a hymn and they left and departed and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is on his uh, way to the cross. They sang one of these um, Psalms. And all of these Psalms had music written to them. And so this was something that the children of Israel would sing. They would declare truths about who God was or how God was there for them. Uh, What we find is that these are the very personal songs of these individuals who actually wrote them and also for the nation. They're songs of praise. They're songs that declare faith and trust in God, confession of sin, songs uh, that teach Jewish history to to the kids that were growing up in Israel, passing on to the next generation. And each one of them really centers on faith and trust in God. I love what uh, one author, Warren Rearsby, he says this about the book of Psalms. He says, whether the writer is looking back at history, looking up to the heavens, or looking around at his problems, he first of all looks by faith to the Lord. The Psalms teach us to have a personal relationship with God as we tell him our hurts, our needs, as we meditate on his greatness and his glory. This is a great way for us to begin our summertime. And, and, and maybe you struggle kind of getting into a rhythm of reading your Bible. One of the great practices that you can get into is reading uh, a chapter of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just begin there in Matthew. And then picking a psalm, starting with Psalm 1. What a, what a way to enrich your own life, learning about Jesus, learning about all that he is and does and, and has done for us, but also learning uh, how, how these writers and, and David himself wrote about and declared the glory of God uh, in these psalms. And so this morning, Psalm 139, it's really a song celebrating the characteristics of God. It expresses them in ways that are kind of personal. And we learn in this psalm about these theological terms, that God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing, that God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times, that he's also omnipotent. He's actually all-powerful. He's the creator of all things. Yet David actually writes it in such a way, and and it's, it's, it's less of a theological account, more like a personal understanding of this is who God is. And because of that, David declares his loyalty to God. So let's get into it this morning. Psalm 139, let's read the first six uh, verses together as David learns some of these truths that bring comfort to his heart. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So David begins with this this song of praise, really declaring these characteristics of God, beginning with, God, you are omniscient. Or that God actually knows me. If you're taking notes this morning, jot it down. Write it down right next to uh, the little margin in your Bible. That God actually knows me. This is an interesting kind of thought that God would know everything about us. When you meet new people, 
Don't you want to put your best foot forward, right? First time you went on a date, you had your manners, you know what I mean? Right, you, you probably like slowed down, guys, right? And you didn't use your sleeve to wipe your mouth off. Open the door, right? Like you don't want any of your, even when you all take pictures, right? They're like, hey, can, can I get on that side? Because that's actually my what? My best side, right? We all have those kinds of things. We want, we want everyone to see the very best of who we are, right? Yet, what we find is that over time, we start to see the inconsistencies in each other, right? The flaws, the imperfections, the unattractive traits. And that's probably the thing that makes us fearful, is that what if they actually knew the real me? What if they saw all my sides and they don't like me or they don't love me? That fear in us, it keeps us from intimacy with other human beings, but that's not so with God. What David says is that he sees, he knows every detail of our lives, and he still chooses to draw us near to him, to make us his own, and to shower us with love. He knows your deepest hurts. He knows what you struggle with this morning. I love what Jesus told us in the Gospel of Luke as he talked about praying to God. He said, he said don't pray like the unbelievers or like the pagans pray. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. David also said that he knows our actions. He knows when we sit down, when we rise up, and he knows everything in between. I love verse 2 when David declares that he understands my thoughts from afar. He knows your motives of why you do what you do and what we think about. God knows you better than you know yourself. Like self-knowledge is probably the hardest knowledge to ever attain in life. Think about that. Have you ever said to yourself, Man, why did I do that? You have those conversations with yourself? Like usually at a stoplight, and the people are looking at you next to like, dude, you're not talking to anybody. You're talking to yourself. Like, man, why did I say that? Man, what is wrong with me? Man, God knows all the details of our lives. Verse 3 and 4, he says he knows all the day's activities and the very words that we speak before we even uh, know them ourselves. God already sees that and knows that. And in verse 5, David acknowledges that he is not on his own making his journey through life. I love how one translation puts it. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. That's how the New Living Translation reads it. God's protective hand. David feels secure. He understands that God has his entire life in his hands. I love what Jesus tells us about, about us as followers, calling us sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Think about that this morning. Your life if you're a follower of Christ today, your salvation is in the safekeeping of God's hands. He's powerful, and you're in his grasp. And that knowledge to David was like so wonderful, I can't even attain it. And it provided comfort. He said, it's beyond my finite comprehension. It's too wonderful for me to grasp that God the creator would know me and see all of my life, right, and place his hand upon my life. So David, he continues this, this praise unto God. God, you know me. You know every detail of my life. You know words that I say before I even know that I'm going to say them. 
and your hand of blessing is upon my life. The next part of the psalm, he begins to praise God for that second theological term that we mentioned, that, that God is, is omni, uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. If you read on in verse 7, David says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, notice this, verse 10, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. David says, God, not only do you know me, but number two, you're with me. David asks a question in verse 7, then he elaborates on it in verse 8 through 12. He says, where can I go where God is not there? Where can you go where God is not there? In the uh, book of Genesis, Jacob, as Jacob is kind of, you know, leaving uh, his family and he's, you know, fleeing from his brother. His brother was like super ticked off because he took his blessing and he took uh, his favorite shirt. Well, that would be sisters, I guess, right? It would be, uh, he, took his, he took his blessing and he took the, the firstborn right. And, uh, and so he's like, I better get out of here. My brother's like really angry with me. And so he takes off. And there one night on his journey, he falls asleep, lays his head on a rock. And, uh, and he has this dream that God's very presence was there. He has this dream about a ladder and he sees the angels of God ascending and descending. And so he wakes up in the morning and he says, he says, surely God is in this place, and I knew it not. A lot of times we can go through life, and you might feel alone. You might feel like, man, I feel abandoned by God right now. And David says, let me tell you something about God. Not only does he know everything about you, but he's always with you. There's no place you can actually go where God is not present. The idea is that there's no place nor scenario where I can get away from God. Did David want to get away from God? I'm sure at times he did. But that truth that God is always there should be a comfort to us, even as it was to King David. He says, if I go up, if I go down, if I go into the heavens or I go to the grave, even, he says, the wings of the morning, the speed of light, even if I could travel at the speed of light and get away from here, he says, behold, you are there. In verse 10 again, he mentions the hand of the Lord. He says, the hand of the Lord leads me and guides me, and your strength will support me. And the darkest night could not hide me from you. You know when kids were um, little, we play hide and seek. Your kids ever do this? Like they would just go like this? Like, you know, I can still see you right now, right? Well, it's dark to me. I thought it would be dark to everybody else, right? It's almost like that is, is that the darkest night, the darkest moment of your life, David acknowledges, behold, you, you are there. You're with me in that very moment. Paul perhaps expands on this fact that nothing can separate us from God. And he actually declares nothing can separate us from the love of God, giving us a great characteristic of who our God is. He says in Romans 8, uh, 38 and 39, he says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The writer of Hebrews tells it like this. And remember this promise that God has given to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise this morning to know that that it ought to create in the same sort of way did David to, to begin to ponder these truths, not in a theological sense. Why well, know this about God, that he knows everything about me, and gee, he's everywhere at all time. I can't go to, you know, I can't go over here, I can't go over there. And he's in the nightclubs too, by the way. So you can't get away from him. <laughs> this one guy I know, he was uh, kind of like backsliding from God, and it was a Sunday night, he's supposed to be in church. And uh, there he was just dancing with a bunch of girls in this nightclub down in Southern California. And, uh, and he said in this moment, it's like the spirit of the Lord just showed up on the dance floor. And he's just like, Lord, what are you doing here? <laughs> he said, the Lord spoke to him and says, never mind me, what are you doing here, right? That was that moment in his life where he's like, you know what, Lord, I'm going your way. Your way is best. You can't get away from God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What a great promise. So David says, man, God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times, right? You know me. You're with me. I love what David continues. He says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted to me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Uh, David was not saying that he was made in the ground and then God, you know, like brought him to his, you know, contact with his mother's womb and that's where he finished his growth. It was that as hidden as it was before the idea, you know, the, the ability to have a 3D picture of your baby, which is so trippy. Uh, but be, it was like as hidden as if that child was formed in the very depths of the earth. You couldn't see, but God did. And David says, that my frame was not hidden as it was being intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, notice this, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So David says, God, I praise you because you know me. God, I praise you because you're with me. And now David praises him for his omnipotence. He's all-powerful and the creator of all things. And David acknowledges, God, you formed me and you formed my days. How comforting to know that God was there in the very moment when you were just an unformed substance and already saw you living out your life. Already sees it happening before you. In fact, he says he was intricately involved in creating the steps that you and I would take living out this life. Even from the beginning of my life, he says, you've known me and you've been with me. What an awesome truth. That you knit me together and you formed me. When your kids get old enough, right, they ask you, hey, mom and dad, like, where are babies made? Right? 
You're like, well, it's kind of like Build-A-Bear, a little more complicated than that, but you know what I mean? It's like sort of knit together, and then the guy sews you up, puts a little voice thing in your mouth, right? And, and then like the dog gets a hold of it, and you're done. Thinking about this passage, you know, I mean, I commit the kids are 25, 22, 19. And uh, right now, this last week, we actually got confirmation that Baby Shark, which is the newest addition to the Hall family, is actually a little girl. So this is my oldest son and his wife are, are expecting in November. And, uh, and I just thought, man, just the, the, what a blessing, man, that God is knitting that. And we pray, Lord, that, you know, just bless her, God, fill her, strengthen her as you put her together in, uh, in my daughter-in-law's womb. And uh, what's so trippy is, we, you know, you guys know, we had like some images of our kids, you know what I mean? Just like, okay, there's a heartbeat, and then there, he's a boy, right? Three times, that's what we heard. No daughter. And Tammy's like, we got any, meeny, miny, and I don't want no mo. So we were done. <laughs> She's like, you have to wait for a granddaughter. So the Lord's blessed us. And uh, they got video of it. They can see her heart beating, you know what I mean? And they're like, wow, she's got lips are forming. And then, and then Baby Shark, she just like, like picked up her arm. And it's like she did like a little bicep shot just for Papa. And I was so super excited. I got the video on my phone. Think about that. God is involved in every deep. I'll show that picture to you, by the way. Great symmetry. <laughs> God is involved in every detail of my existence and your existence. And he formed you. And God doesn't make mistakes. You might have heard from your parents, oh, well, you were a mistake. Right? We didn't want you, you may have heard. God did. And guess what? And God does want you. I'm the fourth of four boys. And my mom would tell us growing up, because there's like kind of an age gap. Uh, she said, we planned the first two, and the good Lord planned the last two. To which I would say, don't blame my older brother on God, mom. That's not God who did that. I'm just kidding. That's, that's number three. We, we, we used to butt heads quite a bit. He says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it just brought praise to David. Just stop and think. Thank the Lord. God, all the details of my life you've created, the ones that are hard, he's allowed. Somehow, because he's God, he's using them for his glory, and he's using them to make you better, to make you stronger. He sees the eternal. You and I see the, you know, the earthly life. We say, gee, life would be better, Lord, if you just did this and this. And God says, but it won't be better for eternity unless you, you go through this and this and this. God is intricately involved in every detail of your life. He said the inward parts. It's the idea that, that it's the seat of emotion and affections of our life. He made our bodies, but our personalities, and the invisible parts of me, as well as the visible. Each of us is so unique. You think about how God has made you. It's like you're, you're one of a kind. You're one of a kind person. And God is involved in all of those details. It's amazing. The birth of a child, right? The development of a child. And, and, and we look at this passage here where we, where we understand where, where life actually begins because a lot of people are confused about it. I don't know if you heard the story of the, the rabbi, uh, the uh, scientist, and, uh, and the priest. They're arguing about when life begins. 
And the priest said, life begins at conception. Right? The scientist said, life begins at birth. The rabbi said, no, 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 you guys got it wrong. Life begins when the last kid moves out and the dog dies. <laughs> it's bad. Any empty nesters out there? <laughs> they're like, they're like, keep it quiet, change the locks. The truth is, according to David and God's word, he said, your eyes saw my unformed substance. How cool is that? The moment conception happens, God sees the development and, and, and is intricately in part in the growth of that child, including the days of their life. It's so fun to watch a couple, you know what I mean? Like they find out, wow, we're going to have a baby, right? The joy of finding out you're pregnant. I remember when we found out each, each of our kids, we were having a baby and uh, what a blessing it was. Um, but guess what? Before you knew mom, God already knew. He already knew that life was already forming inside of your womb. He saw my unformed substance, that zygote, right? Two cells being joined together, and David is blown away by what he writes next. In verse 16, he says this, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Your life, my life, was ordained in heaven to be lived out on earth. Think about that. God formed you, created you, and the days that you would live out. And then he says your thoughts or your plans, right? He tells us this, this, you know, those words can be interchangeable. We see that in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Another translation is, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, declares the Lord. He says, your thoughts or your plans, he says, if I were to count them, they would outnumber the sand of the sea. What love, what care came from the Lord of heaven and earth that he would be so intimately involved with every detail of our lives carefully planning them out. And it's as if David was up one night just thinking about all this stuff, right? Thinking about how God was involved in his life, how God knew him and God was with him and thinking about all the times in David's life where he was, you know, led by God and blessed by God, protected by God, but also disciplined by God because of God's love with his loving hand. And at some point he falls asleep and he says, and when I wake, it's all still true. Whether you're sleeping, whether you're waking, all these things belong to us as followers of Christ. And David praises God because of these things. David's amazed. He's in awe. He's grateful. And his heart is filled with praise. And now he responds. We see in verse 19. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. That shifted gears pretty quick, didn't it? My Lord, I praise you. I'm fearfully one and more. But Lord, kill them all. That's not what's happening here. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. David says in verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then this prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David responds now 
by saying, God, you, you know me. God, you're with me. God, you formed me and my days. But this last part of this song to God, David declares that, God, I'm fully surrendered to you. I'm fully surrendered to you and your will for my life. You know me, you're with me, you created me in my past. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to be close to you. Lord, I want to walk in your everlasting ways. We get a little bit of sort of the background of what's going on when David penned this psalm as he was surrounded by enemies, surrounded by the ungodly. And David shows his loyalty to the Lord in this moment. He says, Lord, I hate what you hate, the evil of this world. And in our context, don't think of individuals. Oh, God, you hate that politician, I hate that politician too. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son. And, and Paul tells us to pray in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we're to pray for all of our rulers and kings who are in authority over us, right, so that we might live peaceful, quiet lives. For God desires that all would come to repentance and a knowledge of him and truth. You think that right now, you look at our political landscape, when Paul wrote that, they had Caesar Nero, who would burn Christians, uh, like put tar over them and put them on, impale them on a pole and, and light them on fire. It became sort of his like, you know, nightly practice to just sort of cruise through his garden, you know what I mean, uh, on his chariot as Christians were burning. That's the guy that Paul says, hey, we ought to pray for those people. But when David says that we hate evil, we, we hate what, what Satan has corrupted in this world, and, 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 and created this environment that really is this uh, against God, want nothing to do with God. David says, God, I don't want to be immersed into that culture that is in that spot that is actually a part of, of despising you. This evil in this world, it grieves God's spirit. One day it will bring judgment. David says, what you oppose, I oppose. David is living a different life. Make called a separate life from the lives of people who are just living apart from God. He talks about this in Psalm 1. He says, he says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Paul talks about this to the church in Corinth when he tells them, because the church in Corinth was just sort of like the church of California. It was just like Im Im immersed with sort of the world. You really couldn't pick apart like, like, man, is this a separate? Are you guys living your life for God or are you living your life for this world? You've got to make a stand. You've got to make a choice. And, and Paul quotes an Old Testament prophet. He says, come out from among them, declares the Lord, and be separate. That's what David's led at this moment. God, you know me. You made me. You formed me in my days. God, I'm, I'm all in with you. God, I want nothing to do with that old life that I used to live. God, I want to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. He's concerned about the justice of God in the world around him. He's concerned about the glory of God in the world as well as his inner life. And that's why he says, Lord, search me. It isn't so much a, God, I, I, I despise what you despise in this world, and God, I'm with you on you know, your, your, uh, how you view the wickedness of this world. David gets personal. He says, God, it's in me, right? my inner life. Lord, I hate the evil in the world, 
But I also hate the, the sin in my life too. Lord, I want nothing to come between us. Is that your prayer this morning? The things that kind of like try to get in between you and your relationship with God, the little pet things that we know are not honoring to the Lord, they become a distraction, you know what I mean? Isn't it, isn't it easy to compare yourself to other people? You ever do that? Just me? Have that struggle? Where you compare yourself to someone, maybe it's an area of your life that the Lord is saying, hey, you know what, I want, I want, to, I want you to move away from that situation. And you say, but, but, you know, but Johnny... He's doing way worse than me. You know what I mean? You ever brothers like that, siblings? My mom would say, hey, go mow the lawn. I'm like, what the heck is Stuart going to do? Like, let him go the mow the lawn. He made up allergies. I know he did. He was always sneezing. I'm like, you don't have allergies. I had to go mow the lawn. He's in there playing Atari, whatever. <laughs> you compare yourself with other people. The Lord's saying, hey, I want you to. And by the way, the disciples struggle with this. Jesus told Peter, Peter, listen, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. It doesn't end well with you. You're going to actually be arrested one day, and you're going to be crucified on a cross, just like I will be. And Peter looked at John and said, what about him? And Jesus said, hey, if I want John to be alive until I return, what's that to you? Like, mind your own business, Right? And then John describes like, hey, everyone started this rumor like, John's never going to die until Jesus returns. He says, that's not what he said. But, but he looked at Peter and says, but you follow me. you got to have your own walk with God where you can say, Lord, this is an area of my life you're asking to move me to move away from. Even if I see other people who are actually doing similar things, they seem like that they're fine with it. See, David's like, Lord... He came to this conclusion in the psalm. What could be better than being so close to God? What else is there in life that would be better than the tightest relationship that you could have with the creator of the universe? I bet the, the moments that you've experienced like a closer walk with God, you look back on those with fondness and go, boy, that was, that was a great time. Like, why can't I have that experience anymore? Well, you start to see that maybe some things have creeped in and maybe some things have sort of like departed from your life, like a rich time with God in his word and more time in prayer, right? And, 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 a, and a quicker, a quicker uh, ability to say, you know what, ah, that's not going to be healthy for me in my walk with God, so I'm actually not going to be a part of that without casting judgment on anybody else. That's where David's at. He's like, Lord, I want nothing to come between us. He doesn't want anything in the world to take away the glory of God, nor in his personal life. So he says, search me and know me. He ends this psalm the way he began. God, you know me better than I do. You know, the Bible tells us that you and I are over and over and over throughout Scripture. Do not be deceived. Don't be self-deceived. David says, Lord, you know me better than I do, so I need you to search my heart. Because I know I'm prone to self-deception. Paul talks about it saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows into their life, that's going to grow in their life, and they're going to reap that. You start planting corn in your life, guess what? Corn is going to grow. If you start planting other things, in your, weeds in your life, weeds are going to grow. God is not mocked. It's the law of the harvest. 
So David says, God, I know that I'm prone to self-deception. I'm asking that you would search me and know me and test me. As a refiner tests metals, it reveals the impurities and then they're able to remove them. So David desires purity on the inside of his life. He says, God, is there any grievous way? That word literally means like a way of pain or anything offensive to you. How much richer would your life be, my life be, if on a consistent, regular basis we said, Lord, is there anything that's going on in my world that is a, 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 a way that's conflicting in my walk with you? I want to be as far from the wicked, he says, as possible, and I want to be as close to you as possible as well. After understanding all the attributes of the Lord, David is prompted to live a life of obedience. And here's the real question to wrestle with today. Do we truly want to be closer to God? Are we comfortable with some of our pet sins? Some of the little things that we sort of say, well, that's not so bad. Look what Johnny does. Johnny, what a naughty sinner, right? You go, man, but they do this. This isn't so bad. The problem with it is, is that it's manageable when it's tiny, right? You know, everyone's into succulents right now. You know what I mean? You take like a little succulent, like the size of a thimble. Next summer, boom. Where'd the kids go? They're like underneath the succulents. <laughs> it's like everywhere. <laughs> it's like exploding, right? You know what I mean? It's going like, dude, someone needs to like, like well, keep tearing them apart and put them in the things and you can sell them online. That's what sin does. It's manageable right now. I got this under control, Lord. David says, man, search my heart. Search my heart. Is there any grievous way in me? What a great prayer for you to pray today. You know what I find in my life? That when sin creeps in my life, and, it, and sin is, you remember that game at, um, at Chuck E. Cheese? Man, I'm so glad those days are done. But now that I just, I just had that thought. They might not be done. <laughs> Creepy old rat running around dancing, gross pizza. Remember the whack-a-mole? You know what I mean? That's what sin is, man. He's like, dude, I'm good at this game. Boom. It's like, over here. Oh, dang it. Over here. Boom. He was like, Lord, I need you to search my heart, man. I think I got this under control and something else is popping up over here. I find that when it creeps in my life, I lose my appetite for the things of God. My appetite for his word, my appetite to be around other believers my appetite for prayer is sort of like, meh. This is why I love to gather on a weekly basis because we get realigned with truth and say, God, you know what? This is the right path for me to be on. We have these moments of worship and prayer and time in his word where we get this moment where we can say, God, realign my life with what's right and true because you know me better than myself, than I know myself. So you say, search my heart. David's request, it ought to be ours daily. Lord, search me and know my thoughts. Lord, is there something that, that has snuck back in my life? I need you to go after it. I need you to expose it. I need you to give me power to remove it. He says, we would say, forgive me and remove the crud that keeps me from experiencing really all of you, Lord, in our lives. And when he shows you something, you take an obedient step and you act upon it. See, that's what it means when David says, search my heart, is there any grievous way, and lead me in the way everlasting. Every one of us, friends, 
is as close to what we really, that we really want to be with the Lord. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We thank him for that. But we ask him to search out our hearts, to draw near to him. And the word says that he will draw near to us. Let me encourage you this week. Try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to your life. If there's something going on in your life, say, Lord, you know, I don't need that a part of my life. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God this week. That's what you do as a believer with this passage. And maybe you've joined us this morning, and we, here we are reading about the knowledge of God. All this stuff that David describes, you know, God, you know me, you're with me, you created me in my days. And he gets to this moment where he says, Lord, there's nothing more important than knowing you and walking closely with you. God, lead me in the way everlasting. Christians, I'm encouraging you to search, ask God to search your heart and see if there is any grievous way in your life and move on from it and stay close to the Lord. But maybe you're here today and you say, I don't have a relationship with God. Do you, Christianity is about doing things, like I gotta do all these things in order for God to accept me. That's the furthest thing that we learn in the Bible, uh, what it means to be a Christian. Be, that's religion, human's ability to try to reach up to God. Do a bunch of things and now God will accept you. The Bible tells us that there's not enough things you could do for God to accept you because we've all broken God's commands. There's no one righteous, Paul declares. No, not one. So then how is a person made right with God? How is a person saved? How does a person have a right relationship with God? Well, by recognizing the fact that they've sinned and dishonored God and, and broken his commands. And by recognizing also that, that that's why there's a cross, that Jesus Christ went to the cross 2,000 years ago and he absorbed all the wrath that sin deserved, all the sin of this world. And he willingly took your sin and my sin upon himself. And the Bible says that, that God made him who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might be made right with God or we might have his true righteousness. And that comes by faith. You admit that you're a sinner. You ask God to forgive you. You are willing to turn away from sin. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and you receive Christ into your heart and your life by faith. It's not just about believing a creed, it's about actually having a relationship with God where God comes and takes up residence in our lives. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone would open, hear my voice and open the door, he says, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. It's this beautiful picture of that, of that culture of, of real relationship, you know what I mean? That they would have fellowship together. You can know God have his hand upon your life in the same way that David described that God was with him. How does it happen? By just acknowledging, God, I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. God, I need to surrender to you. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going um, to encourage you to do a couple things. One is that we've got prayer tables on each side of the room. If you need prayer this morning, maybe there's an area of your life that you just want to go get prayer for, maybe a job interview coming up, maybe you've got some big issue you're wrestling with. Maybe there's an area of your life that God's been speaking to you and you want to you seal that deal, so to speak, with somebody else joining in prayer with you during the last song and also after the service, they're available. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you need to commit your life to God. I'm going to pray right now. And if that's where you're at in your life, you say, hey, man, I want God in my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right where you're sitting. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And God, I'm praying right now for each and every one of us. Lord, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ today who each one of us, God, have areas of our life where we say, we need to say, Lord, search me, know me. Try my heart, Lord. What area of my life is grievous to you? 
Lord, it's a way of pain. It's a, it's a distraction that keeps me from really knowing you and being close to you, Lord. We want to get the, rid of that stuff, Lord. And God, give each one of us hearts that, that want to know you more. And I pray that you would bless us this week, God, as we seek to be listening to your spirit, God, and as we open your word, that you would speak to us. I also pray for my friends who are here today, God, there might be one person here who's ready <clears throat> to surrender to you and have salvation, that experience in their life, God, where, where they are, are literally transferred from the kingdom of darkness, your word says, into the kingdom of light, where all their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future sins because of the simple faith in Jesus Christ what he did for all of us on the cross.